When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hang Out in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I'm your host, Josh Dooley, and with me riding shotgun, as always, he is the peanut butter to my jelly, the one, the only, Chuck Holmes. And it's great to be back and to be bringing you guys another episode. Chuck and I are actually sort of dreading this week. Well, maybe not dreading, but later we're going to discuss a theme and or a team that we are not too fond of. So, yeah, stay tuned for some salty vitriol. This one is not going to be all sunshines and rainbows. But first, partner, let me bring you in here. Chuck, how are we doing this week? I believe you are already in full-on vacation mode, right? Going to load manage our next episode and leave me hanging? Yeah, I'm really hoping my boss isn't listening to this uh, because I'm just going to be completely honest. I'm not getting a lot done at the office this week. It's uh, it's going to be an FOW. Uh, for those of you that don't know what that is, well, you you could probably figure it out if you think a little bit. Um, I couldn't agree more about this week, though, uh, and the pod. It's less appealing than it has been for most of our adult lives. The last couple of years have kind of uh, soured this week. So we, we've always joked that we needed some competition, and that was we, – we lied. We, we hate this. <laughs> I, I'm not looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, and we, we don't want to spill the beans yet, but I even wrote about it today. Uh, this is Monday evening, <clears throat> and Gene Ross and I had a Your Nuts piece go out, and, like, you hit it on the head. It's a little less fun when the rabbits got the gun. You know what I mean? So – We'll get through it, though. We're professionals. And speaking of vacations, Chuck, let's talk summer vacation um, as it pertains to our favorite sports. All right, I'm going to start out. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because it is lonely out on these content streets now that drafts and free agency are pretty much in the rear view. We're essentially left with Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, and one last major in golf, both men's and women's, I believe. It's tough, right? So let me ask you, is July your least favorite month of the year strictly as a sports fan? Or is there one that I'm missing? Yeah, July's tough. It's it For me personally, it's kind of my exhale month. And so it, it kind of gives me an opportunity to catch up around the house and, and be a human being and be a dad and be a, a husband. So 
that part of it is kind of relaxing. But yeah, like when I want to sit down and, and spend a few minutes because I have a few minutes this month to to enjoy something, it's literally only baseball, which is great. Don't get me wrong. I love baseball, but uh, I would like some kind of variety at some point. I'm the same way. I probably need that breather because I'm just too obsessed for the other 11 months out of the year. But I would say that February is a close second for me just because the finality and the the realization that football is over starts to sink in. So February is another tough one because then you're also only looking at basketball. You know, baseball's still not still a ways off and golf's not really doing much in the cold months. So February is a close second for me. Um, but I just want to keep you on your toe. At least in July, it's it's warm, right? So we don't, we at least in February. In February might be worse because you're just we're in Ohio. It it sucks here in February. It's awful. It's brutally cold. At least in July, I can sit out back, drink a cold beverage, and uh, enjoy some warm weather for a, a, a few days of this before it becomes 900 degrees, and then you got to come back in. Yeah. Well, I mean. Chuck, traditionally, that's true, but more so in years past because, you know, for whatever reason, this year Canada is really trying to shit in our Cheerios, you know what I mean, with all the wildfire stuff, the air Oh, quality. yes. My goodness. It's out of control uh, again today, and I know we've talked about that on recent pods. We're not going to go down that wormhole, but yeah, um, want to keep you on your toes, Chuck, and get you fully ingratiated into this pod. Next up... You know, I feel like we should circle back around to the whole Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern situation. I don't think we need to go in depth here because we were recording last week when the news broke and we talked about it a little bit. But now that there has been some resolution, although it seems like Fitzgerald is going to fight this a little bit, where are you at on the whole thing? You know, the handling of it, the result as it currently stands. Just give me some general thoughts a week removed from when we first heard about the Pat Fitzgerald firing at Northwestern. Man, it is a uh, it's a really unfortunate situation. And it, it's tough, right? Because there's a lot of people affected by this. And you don't want to just immediately go to all the bad stuff you kind of want to give the people that that were affected and an ability to to heal from whatever it may be and i know today there was a a lawsuit filed uh from some of the uh some of the players but this was such a disaster by the ad and the the administration as a whole like it's my like if the ad survives this it's the whole administration needs fired like it, it's crazy and the day after they fired when combined with the baseball, which I think I'm leading you into that, right? Yeah, like, my God, what the hell is going on in this program? Like, it's crazy. You can't, this is 2023. You can't run uh, Division One athletic programs like this. It's it's just, it's it's not acceptable. Like, this was this was acceptable back in 1950. It's not 1950 anymore. It's, it's the 21st century. Uh, we're not barbarians anymore. This isn't how people manage uh, student athletes. And it's, it's insane. It's not how they manage anything. You should know. Like, like let's – it's it's crazy. So I, I can't imagine he makes it through this. I know there's been some protests uh, from students and faculty. Uh, so I, I just can't see how he makes it. And, frankly, the whole athletic department probably needs cleaned out in the administrative side. 
Yeah, once the other, uh, you know, shoe kind of dropped there on the baseball side of things, that was just another eye-opening development. And I'm with you. It was handled poorly across the board. Seems like they were really trying to, like, you know, sweep it under the rug or, you know, this too shall pass sort of thing, but in the entirely wrong context. And you're right. You want to, like, have some empathy and some sympathy for all of those affected, but it almost makes you, like, anger almost comes first or frustration almost comes first because, to your point, it's like, how the hell did this happen? Um, even if, look, some people look at this and they're like, well, it's not that bad. Like, I think that's a very old school, to your point, probably barbaric mentality. Um, cause they're like, oh, well, this didn't happen or this didn't happen. Well, some really bad stuff did happen. And that's really all that matters in this instance. And the fact that they just sort of, again, swept it under the rug or, didn't investigate fully when they could have just a complete failure on the administration's part. And now because of, you know, some of the other, you know, scandals or whatever you want to call it, like it's really tough when now you've got a dozen more 15, 18 more student athletes who are seeking representation and, you know, they're going to join a lawsuit or file a lawsuit. But then because we are so damn litigious as a society and we've seen things go wrong uh, or go poorly in the past, it's like, you know, Chuck, tell me if you feel differently. But like there's this one to two to five percent, you know, piece in the back of my brain that's like, is this is this now legitimate or is this prisoner of the moment or just, you know, reactionary thinking? Oh, I too can be a part of this. I I hate to even ask that or say that, but again, just look at some of the things that we've seen come down the pipe in the past. It's like everything's gone so sideways that you just you don't want to hear about it anymore. And sports is like that one or is hopefully that one last bastion of hope or like that thing where it's like, "Oh, we don't have to worry about this, that, and the other," but it's found its way into really every walk of life. And that just adds to the frustration, I think, from at least my point of view. You'd hope that it's not going to be that way where you get into these, some of these lawsuits and they're frivolous, but that there, there's probably a chance that not all of these players experience what they're going to, what the, the basis of them is going to be. And that's unfortunate, but there's going to be plenty that do. And I, I will be fascinated. I it's, it's, terrible that we say that but i like the truth will come out in some of these because these are going to be under oath like when when you're in a court of law you're you're required to tell the truth so they're going to there's going to be some information that comes out that makes pat fitzgerald probably look really bad and if that's the case so be it like he he needs to look really bad and and if it's the other coaches as well so be it i know we, you and I were talking offline about the fact that they didn't fire any of the other staff. And I think that that more is based on the, the, the timing. I think if it was March, they probably would have, but with camp getting ready to start, that's a, and a that sucks because that's an excuse. It is their it excuse is. not to, Yeah, I agree. 
clean house and they're going to paint it as like, oh, we can't do that to our student athletes. You know, we can't essentially dissolve the the coaching staff or the football program. Well, I, I think that's bullshit. If a full investigation did occur, occur or is ongoing, like people need to be suspended either with or without pay, put on leave, something, because you can't tell me that one single individual oversaw this program and is like solely responsible for any and all of the, the the terrible things that took place. I just don't buy that. And so to potentially keep other individuals involved around the program, around these student athletes who may or may not have been affected themselves, like, sorry, that's just wrong in my opinion. I don't care what your excuse is or what the timing is. I, I don't think that's anything but fair. And the challenge will be though the first, the next team that does it will be the first or the next administration that does it will be the first. And these administrators have proven to be cowards. So they're not going to be the first to, to lead from the front, unfortunately. So that part of it is, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's unfortunate, but unfortunate it is where we are as a business of college football at this point. Exactly. Everything's a business, no matter how hard some try to deny that or, or say otherwise, even at a, a school like Northwestern, right, where academics are are everything <clears throat> except for, you know, because athletics right. bring in Absolutely. so much money that uh, it's just an ends to a mean, right? They would even say, oh, well, no, athletics just allows us to prop up the university even further. Like, no, it kind of helps you to line your pockets is really what it comes down to. But uh uh, let's change gears a little bit. And, and before we do one thing, one last thing on this, I've been reading all these articles about these potential candidates for this staff, and there's some there's some people out there that write for about college football for a living that are idiots. Like the clickbait going on right now in college football, and you guys may have seen a couple of tweets I responded to. The idea that some of these guys, and I'm not going to name names of, of the coaches, and we there's 10 of them, but like these guys are like either about to get NFL head coaching jobs or make five or six million dollars at the current job they're at and they're winning. They're not coming to Northwestern. Northwestern is a bottom four school in the Big Ten. Give me a freaking break, guys. Come on. I'll name one name and that's Ed Orgeron. You know, I thought that was funny when his name was mentioned because <laughs> look at the man's career. It's Miami, it's USC, it's LSU. Like you think about some of the places that he's been for more than a minute and experienced some success. Like I think our boy Ed has a preferred type of destination, uh, preferred climate maybe. Although I, I the social scene in Chicago or around Evanston isn't bad, but I just don't think that's Big Ed's scene. So I thought that was funny. <clears throat> Urban Meyer, absolutely laughable. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. There have been some names out there that... Did you see where Ed Orgeron was when he found out he was a supposed candidate? I'm guessing it was five o'clock somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> well, no, he was on the campus of Northwestern state university in louisiana 
He was help. I think he was helping at a camp and found out that he, he was supposedly a candidate. But he might have had a couple beverages before he started that camp, for all we know. Yeah, and that's look, no offense to our guy, Big Ed. He enjoys life. And I think we should all aspire to do the exact same thing. That's really all it comes down to. But um, yeah, before we get to some theme week content here, Chuck, I want to put you on the spot again. And I did give you a little bit of a heads up. I wanted to talk briefly about Big Ten Media Days. It was announced last week that Ohio State will be sending Marvin Harrison Jr., Kate Stover, and JT Tuimolo out as their player representatives. And look, Austin Ward of Rivals wrote something about this, so I want to acknowledge that, but we're not trying to jack his style in any way. He has something like, uh, what are the most interesting questions for each of these guys? I had a similar thought when I saw the names, and I wanted to set you up, Chuck. So... I'm going to give you a name. You give me one question you would ask them if you could attend Big Ten Media Day. Serious, silly, whatever you want. So uh, I'll, I'll switch up the order a little bit. One question at Big Ten Media Day is what would you ask Cade Stober? So I have a question I want to ask him and Marvin together. So we'll save that one. Uh, I want I want Kate Stover to tell me, look me in my face and answer, is this the year of the tight end? Truthfully, I don't want him to lie to me. I want him to answer truthfully. And I, we want, I want to get to the bottom of whether 2023 is the year of the tight end at Ohio State. I can just imagine that being like a courtroom scene, like you stand up full of emotion, like, look me in my face. <laughs> Look me in my face. And tell you can't handle the you. truth. <laughs> That's what he would tell you. Like, you just you can't handle it. Um, but that's a good question. You mentioned the other name or brought it up. So now I'll hit you next with Marvin Harrison Jr. Mar- uh, Super Marv, Big Ten Media Days. What one question would you, would you ask him? Or you can bring up that dual question now if you want. Yeah, the, I, I do have a pers- or a, uh, one for him by himself up, but I would like him and Kate Stover to both answer what they think is going to be different about this year's offense. Um, whether it's stylistically uh, play calling, whatever they see that it's different, like how, what are we going to see markedly different on our TV screens? The one I would like to ask Marv personally is, are you better than your dad already? And see if he would see if I could even get a smile out of him and, and or see if I could get a real answer out of him, because he might already be better than his dad ever was. And his dad was a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I, I would also be interested to see what his response to that was. And as far as the other like the dual question, I think they could go in a lot of different directions. Uh, and again, that would be interesting to hear their response or their responses. Uh, I, I wonder if. Marvin Harrison Jr. would start out. It would be problematic if they had different answers. Like if if they've judged how they're doing things completely differently. Yeah, or if one just seems super optimistic and the other the opposite. They're like, I don't know, man. Yeah, a lot of questions, uh, not a whole lot of answers. So that would be rough. But all right, that's that leaves one name, one player. Chuck, Big Ten Media Days. You get one question. What would you ask JT Tuimolowau? What is different this year on the defensive side of the ball that leads you to believe that there won't be a late season collapse similar to last year? Okay, you saved that one at the end. I was about to buzz in because that was too similar. 
to your offensive <laughs> question, but but no, you you specified at the end of the season because Ohio State's defense was pretty stout uh, for the majority of the year, and then things definitely went awry as they got later in the season. So. Um, Great job by you, Chuck, playing reporter. Uh, I'll talk to the powers that be here at Land Grant and see if maybe we can get you up there. Yeah, I mean, a credential is really all I need, and then I'm I'm on my way. Yeah, well, we'd have to check on you and make sure that you actually went to media days and then just see that as a... Uh... I'd be hanging out with Ed at Northwestern. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. All right, Chuck, let's pivot to some theme week content here. Uh, in case you have not been following along, and shame on you if that is the case, Land Grant is focusing content on a particular theme each week, hopefully filling the summer sports gaps and bringing up some fun and interesting stuff to talk about. Last week's theme was Behind Enemy Lines, and this week it is That Team Up North. Now, if you are listening to us, then you should know which team that team is. If you don't know, well, then I'm not sure how the hell you found us in the first place. but. Uh, That team up north is, of course, Michigan, and this week's content is similar to last week in that we are all sort of breaking down and discussing Ohio State's 2023 opponents. But in this case, or this week, we are only focusing on one opponent. And Chuck and I were absolutely going to do that, but we figured that many of the X's and O's and the roster stuff was all going to be covered or talked about. So... What he and I decided to do is lean on our personal experiences. What that means is that Chuck and I are going to jump into our Wayback Machine and just sort of reminisce about our favorite or most memorable Ohio State versus that team up north games or versus Michigan games. I don't think we will. We probably won't cover any matchups pre-2000 primarily because I have trouble remembering what I had for breakfast, but we'll see, you know, we'll see where we end up. Chuck, with that as our premise, are you ready, my friend? Yeah, I'm ready to think about some good Michigan times because I, frankly, I, I, I want to throw up every time I talk about what's Ohio state got to do to, to get back to beating Michigan. I, I, I'm, it, it, I might go throw up before we start this segment. Well, tell you what, Chuck, I might let you go do that, or you can go do whatever you damn well please. Why don't we take a quick break here, and we'll come back and we'll jump into these games. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. For Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley, and we are going to talk about that team up north. If you're listening, like I said, you likely know who this is, but it is, of course, the Michigan Wolver- Michigan Wolverines uh, that we are referencing. And like I mentioned before the break, Chuck and I wanted to switch it up a little bit. We want some, some positive vibes, given the experiences of the last couple of seasons. So he and I are going to go back and talk about or reminisce about some of our most memorable games Likely all victories. I don't know if Chuck has one. He's going to slip in on me. But, Chuck, the first one I've got, we're going post-2000. I've got 2002. Not a particularly great game, but certainly a memorable one. This was two weeks after Holy Buckeye and one week after Ohio State needed overtime to beat Illinois. So, looking back, I don't know how any fan 
survive November of 2002. But getting back to this game against Michigan, a perfect regular season hanging in the balance. Maurice Claret had 154 total yards and a score. Mo Hall scores the go-ahead touchdown with five minutes to go. But, and it, I had to jog my own memory, Michigan got two more possessions after this. Like, I seemed to remember, oh, Mo Hall won the game. He did win it against Illinois, but his touchdown late against Michigan did not clinch the game. They got two more possessions, uh, but OSU's defense really bottled up the Wolverines. You know, John Navarre was 23 for 46 passing in that game. Chris Perry ran the ball 28 times for 76 yards. And then, per the usual, a Buckeye defender makes a play at the end of the game. Will Allen intercepts Navarre's pass as time expired. People go nuts. Ohio State is natty bound. Chuck, what do you remember about the 2002 matchup? Being in the south end zone, ending it with that throw coming into the corner of the end zone and not quite making it there, and uh, my lord and savior, Will Allen, being ready to intercept it. And then as he took off, I remember freaking out because he was running because there was no time on the clock, and he, he realized it very quickly. It felt like an hour in my head. And, and went down, and then it was just pandemonium. But that play call to uh, get Mohal free on that kind of uh, – it was kind of like an option, like a triple option almost. It was just kind of a flip it out. It was a weird play. It was a weird play. Yeah, like Krenzel didn't move. He kind of faked it and then just flipped it out. That was – Hey, it was something we hadn't seen all year. So that was – I'm sure it was something they were working on all season – to prepare for that game but at that point it was such a slog and I know uh Claret had had a great game but the rest of the offense had not like I mean obviously it was nine to seven for a reason and I just felt when he scored that I know they had two touch or two possessions to go it just didn't matter like to me getting that score like there was no way Michigan was going to put it in the end zone and, and maybe that was the beverages that I had had before the game talking to myself, but I just didn't believe it. And uh, it, it obviously came to fruition. What, yeah, what I remember about this one is just a sense of relief when it was finally over. Everything that Jim Trestle and Ohio State put, um, put us through that year, and they did, they put us through it. <clears throat> like, it was a tough pill to swallow. Week in, week out, games were much closer than they should have been. I talked about the two games preceding this one. I mean, holy Buckeye, Illinois overtime, holy Will Allen, essentially. Three weeks in a row, just absolute pandemonium. Ohio State really could have lost all three of those games. And that's crazy to think about that. What would Jim Trestle's legacy or even his future have been like if Ohio State was nine and zero, and it suddenly became nine and three, like I, I don't know how much longer the vest is around if that happens. But yeah, just the the sense of finality, uh, the thought that oh my gosh, Ohio State's going to go play for a national title against Miami, who I, I thought they would lose to. Frankly, I was like, well, you know, they're going to get there. They got a puncher's chance, but um. 
just a really cool game and a great experience. <laughs> and Chuck, I just I, I thought of this too. The game ends, and we weren't sitting together. We were friends, but we weren't sitting together this year. Everyone rushed the field, and I, I remember that. I was actually like running down, and my leg got pinned against like a guardrail, and I thought I was going to lose my leg. And my second thought was it's it's worth it, you know. But it was scary there for a hot second. And then I know you remember this. We weren't sitting together, but we hung out. The Ohio State police, whomever was involved, spray uh, pepper sprayed the absolute piss out of that entire campus that night, and it was like a cloud in and around the stadium. I remember like walking back to your apartment. We're we're blocks away from the stadium and everyone's still like crying, like scratching their eyes and stuff like that. Like it was just, it was nuts. And to think this isn't even like close to the, the most high profile, craziest matchup that we're going to cover on this list. I remember us walking back after the game and it was what, three thirty, four o'clock. Cause it was a 12 o'clock kickoff and seeing a couch on fire in the middle of the street and thinking, and I, I didn't have any sense about me as as a essentially a kid at that time. But I remember thinking, this isn't a good sign for how the rest of the night's going to go. And sure enough, it it wasn't a good sign. There were riots and and pepper spray and cars getting flipped. It was um, it was crazy. And it, it was everything I that love- college football is about. Let's be honest. It's everything <laughs> yes. that's good about college football. And it's, you know, I tell my my oldest stories about it and his eyes get big and I'm and I tell him like, buddy, these days are over at Ohio State. Like this year ruined it. There wasn't another situation like that. Even the national championship that year wasn't five percent of what that night was. It was insanity and it was um yeah, it was it was insane. And that's a good way to kick off this list, too, or to kick off this segment where we're talking about memorable, great Ohio State-Michigan matchups. So let's get to the second one. And, Chuck, I hate to do this to you. This is a painful memory for us. 2003. All right, Ohio State goes on the road. We follow. We pay out the ass for tickets. Make the trip to Ann Arbor. And, um... Not to get all NC-17 here, but you pissed in a bottle on the drive up. I certainly remember that while I held the wheel. One of the most uncomfortable moments in my entire life. But dudes will be dudes. Uh, We get there. Had to go, man. We get there. And look, honestly, Michigan fans were pretty hospitable, all things considered. We sat on the home side, if I'm not mistaken. But the whole stadium is essentially the home side. It's like a big bowl that kind of feeds down. It really is impressive. And that's the you know the last compliment I'm probably going to hand out. The game sucked for Ohio State fans. You know, Michigan goes up 21 to nothing. And then they go up 28-7. The Buckeyes eventually got within one score. But Chris Perry called late, called game with his late touchdown. Also his second. He had over 200 total yards against an Ohio State defense that was giving up like 50 per game on the ground prior to that point. And I remember that Craig Krenzel was out for a bit after he separated his shoulder. 
McMullen came in, Scott McMullen came in. He was fine in his absence. I also remember that, you know, at this point, Michigan fans pretty much hated John Navarre. He was booed throughout his career because he could never beat Ohio State. Then he does it as a senior. He was pretty good in this game. And you and I have a pretty crummy memory to, to hang on to for years to come. Yeah, I remember us being so excited because out of nowhere, Ohio State had a chance. If they win that game with how crazy the BCS standings were back then, like they had a chance. They win that game to go back to the national championship game, right? So for it to have happened that way, and we we kind of saw it, right? It wasn't a great team. It wasn't a great season. Like they just did not. It was kind of like 2015 in that they just did not play up to their potential. So yeah. I wasn't surprised. But, yeah, sitting in uh, sitting in these old people's season tickets and they keep them, them cheering, uh, oh, your team, they're next, they're next, and us wanting to MF them. And in, in hindsight, they were just being super nice. And then <laughs> It was passive aggressive and lovely at the same time. It was, and then they mentioned, oh, oh, yeah, we can't come down to Ohio State. It's it's a little too aggressive down there. I said, you're damn right. And then I, as I get to be an older adult, I realize, well, that, that's probably not a great thing that, that people were scared to come to our stadium. But, yeah, disappointing end to a, a season that could have uh, ended better. But in reality, if they backdoored into the BCS championship, is that really – I mean, they did that – a few years later against LSU and look how that happened. Yeah. And this like years down the road or sometime down the road really became a double whammy because, you know, we watched Chris Perry run all over a, a great Ohio state defense and then suck as a Cincinnati Bengal. When he was drafted too high to begin with, we hated the pick when that happened. And so he was awful. <clears throat> Chris Perry is, uh, a mortal enemy of mine, and I, it, he's probably a great person, but that's another thing that I'll remember. And that's a good point by you. It, it did feel similar looking back to 2015, where it's like, you know that this team is great. They've got all this talent, but they never really got to that level. And so it shouldn't have been that surprising. It, the defensive part of things was surprising that they gave up that many yards on the ground, but you know, they probably weren't a championship worthy team. So it is what it is. Chuck, third game I've got here on our list, memorable, great, you know, our favorite Michigan Ohio State matchups, 2006. I mean, one of the greatest games ever, right? Number one versus number two. You name any skill guy on Ohio State, and he probably had a huge day. Troy Smith threw for 300 yards, four touchdowns. Antonio Pittman and Beanie Wells combined for like 200 yards and two total touchdowns. Uh, Average something silly, like nine yards per carry. Ginn and Rabisky were great, yet it almost didn't matter. And, you know, and I was there for this game. You were not. You can divulge what you were up to. Um, But I was at this game, and it was sort of weird, right? It was played at 3.30. And Michigan stayed within striking distance most of the game. They actually had an onside kick opportunity at the end. Uh, I remember Mike Hart had a huge day for the Wolverines. And they also, they forced 
three Troy Smith turnovers. Like his stats were great and he threw the ball really well, but one pick, two fumbles, three total turnovers. And, you know, in the end, OSU held on. I think we also rushed the field that day. Chaos likely ensued, but I almost have fewer memories from this one because of like the gravity of it all. Like I was so caught up number one versus number two game of the century. Like I wish that I remembered more of it. Uh, I remember plenty, but what else can you say about this game? What do you remember? Because I know your experience was much, much different. Yeah. I remember I, I came home from my deployment the day before and there was just, or two days before. And That's there was timing. just no by, by the United it States was, military. Yeah. yeah, the Army, first time they didn't stick it to me. I couldn't believe it. Uh, I could have been home 10 days earlier, but we won't, we won't get into that part <laughs> of it. And, but I remember coming home, and, and my, my family lives in Cincinnati. So my dad took me back to his house in Cincinnati, and I'd already had my apartment rented. And that Friday morning, I packed my stuff up and I left. I said, I'm not going to not be in Columbus for this game. Like, there's just no way. Like, I've, I've been gone for a year, 15 months, 16 months. Like, I, I'm going to be, if I can't find a ticket, I'm going to be on campus for this game. So I couldn't find a ticket, even though I had uh, deployment money available. That's how crazy it was. I couldn't even find a scalper. to. to I, I would have <laughs> spent anything. I, I, I had an absurd amount of money in my pocket uh, going to this game. And we could not find a ticket. But the gravity of it during, it was just a, it was a, you hear people talk about a, a heavyweight prize fight. And that's what this was, right? It was just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And you just knew at the time, boy, were we wrong. But we just knew at the time that these were the best two teams in the country. And this was going to determine who won the national championship at, at the time. Obviously, hindsight's a little different, but we just you couldn't believe that it worked out this way. And it was an unbelievable game to boot. Uh, Troy Smith was under fire all day like he was under duress and they, they made him pay a few times. But it was like he 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 sealed it. What did it end up being the most uh, most points ever given to a Heisman candidate? Biggest was it the biggest margin of victory for a Heisman candidate? Uh, I, I'd have to look, but I think you're going down the right path. Yeah, he definitely, yeah. I, I think, won by a significant margin. And this was this game was the reason, right? Being able to beat this team, because Michigan was a great team this year. And for him to be able to beat them the way he did was was unbelievably impressive. So it was uh, it was a crazy day. Crazy, crazy, crazy day. No, no couches on fire, though. Go figure. Not that we know of. Um... You know, I think back, and that's one of the top, you know, sporting events that I've ever been to. Uh, I really have to sit down and make a list. But when you talk about the game, the rivalry, number one versus number two with everything that was on the line. The one thing that does kind of suck is it, yeah, the way that that season ended puts a tiny, tiny, tiny damper on that game. But still, I mean, you ask... You ask a common college football fan, and many of them will at least remember some of this game, acknowledge its greatness, things like that. Like it's it's up there all the time. So 
the fact that I was there and the fact that we got to watch our team play in it, very cool. Chuck, I'm, I'm on number four here. We got a couple more to get to. Maybe less, I don't want to say less special. I went in date order, but I've just got, I've got fewer details here. I don't know why. Maybe that's just because I, I got a little bit lazy. But the fourth game on the list comes from the year 2013. You know, for a while, and I think that's why, because of what I'm about to say. For a while, Ohio State kind of dominated the rivalry, right? Except for 2011. Then Urban comes in, and in 2013, another heart stopper. Braxton Miller can't hit the broadside of a barn throwing the ball, but he and Carlos Hyde put up nearly 400 combined rushing yards. Unfortunately, on the other side, gosh, Devin Gardner had the absolute game of his life. He didn't dominate this way in peewee, middle school, high school, you name it. You know, against the Buckeyes, he had 450 yards and four touchdowns through the air, plus one on the ground. None of that really matters. In the end, it it comes down to one play. You know, and this play in particular is very memorable for me because of the way that it sealed a game. It, It didn't come from the greatest Buckeye ever. The stakes were not the same exactly, but... You know, end of the game, Michigan scores to go up to make it 42-41 with 30 seconds to go. And then they decide they're going to go for two for the win. Gardner throws it into traffic. Tybus Powell makes a a diving sort of interception on the two-point conversion. Like I said, legitimately one of the most memorable plays of the last decade plus for me. And it doesn't even count on the stat sheet, right? Interceptions. On two-point conversions, they're not tally, but a, a lot of Ohio State fans and a lot of Buckeye fans are going to remember this one. I know Typhus Powell likely does, and I've even heard him talk about it on local radio. It'll always kind of stick in my mind. That was a really special play on a special day where it looked like Ohio State was maybe going to cough one up at the end and, and lose to Devin Gardner, who, like I said, game of his life. But the end result is the end result. Ohio State continued to dominate for a couple of years or for years to come. What do you remember about 2013, Chuck? I remember thinking that it was such a shame that the game was going to come down to that if he scored. Like, if he was able to get that two-point conversion, because you just knew. Now, if the Buckeyes are down one with 30 seconds to go, I know this year might be different because of the way college football's changed their rules. But like last year, if C.J. Stroud was down one with 30 seconds to go, you'd be like, oh, we're going to get a field goal out of this. I mean, look at last year. They marched down against Georgia, whose defense is way better than than Michigan's was then. So, But Braxton struggled so bad that year. And coupled with uh, Coach Myers' penchant for when, uh, when things got a little tight, we just abandoned anything with any kind of uh, risk to it, and he just pounded the ball right up the middle. Now, this game, it worked. But at the end of the game, if they had gone down 43 to 42 there, uh, there was no coming back. And and I don't think uh, the Meyer, um, the Urban Meyer mystique is what it is today if he loses this game. Like 6-1 and one is not 7-0. and oh. And frankly, I don't think they they can manage 
going and winning the national championship in 14 if they lose this game because they just don't have the same uh, gumption about them if there was doubts about being able to hold a lead. So this was huge for his legacy. It was huge for the program, and it probably changed history for multiple head coaches and players. You look at some of the stats from this game, Braxton Miller completed six passes. Devin Gardner was 32 for 45. Uh, Ohio State on the ground, 46 carries, 393 yards, 8.5 yards per carry. Uh, You know, Michigan ran the ball for 150th and it's sort of typical game. Michigan's Jeremy Gallon had 175 yards receiving and you could start the clock. I don't know how long it would take for me to come up with Jeremy Gallon as a Michigan wide receiver uh, from the last decade or so. Like that name does not ring a bell to me at all, but that just goes to show sort of how crazy this game was. And it, it came down to a two point conversion. I'm sort of with you. I, I don't love when games end that way, but they're, they're pretty exciting at the same time. And it, it is what it is, right? It's like penalty kicks or something like that in soccer somebody's got to win eventually. And that's the way you're going to do it is the two point conversion. That's the way that Michigan wanted to do it. They were only seven and four going into that game. They didn't really have much to lose besides potentially ruining Ohio state season. So I give them credit, definitely a ballsy call by Brady Hoke, but uh, yeah, didn't work out too well. It it might've been one of the only ones I agree with, but I agree with Brady Hoke's call there because if you go to overtime and Ohio State only has 25 yards to go, they're just going to pound the ball on you, right? Your only hope is to make them go the whole length of the field, and you had one shot to do that by getting that. Like, they just weren't going to beat Ohio State in overtime because it was going to be three carries, and they were going to score a touchdown literally every possession. So even though he was uh, a terrible coach at Michigan, to me, that was the right call. His players just sucked for one play. I agree a 1,000%. He had to go for it. Chuck, last game I've got here on the list, and then I've got a couple special mentions too, but the last one with any real detail, 2016, all right? Just because of the double overtime. was not the prettiest game in the world on either side, but in double overtime, excuse me, you get the double dip by Curtis Samuel, reverses field on a third down to set up JT Barrett's fourth down sneak, and then he scores on a catch and run to end the game. This one was a nail biter throughout. JT Barrett, typically great against Michigan, not so much in this one. Struggled to throw the ball a little bit. Curtis Samuel was his go-to guy. He ran the ball pretty well. Barrett did, but needed to be bailed out there at the end. And I just remember this one because Curtis Samuel's double overtime may have been like the most brilliant overtime period that I can think of just because of those two plays. So I added this one. I thought it was pretty cool. This was such an ugly game to watch as a Buckeye fan. And this was kind of when, you know, in, in 13, we didn't really see it. But this was kind of when the the whisper started about uh, the Urban Meyer experience of, hey, when things get tight, we're just going to run a lot of quarterback lead. Yeah. And same thing happened here, right? And, I, and don't get me wrong. Uh, JT Barrett was not good through the air, but he also had 30 carries. <laughs> and that's that's insanity. 
for your quarterback to have 30 carries. Um, yeah, so it, it was it was not an aesthetically enjoyable game. Um, but it did get us one of our favorite memes of all time. Uh, oh, yeah. And we talked about this during the Curtis Samuel uh, uh, hero uh, portion a couple pods ago. But uh, nothing, uh, nothing gets me more excited than being able to send somebody a Jim Harbaugh, we were this close meme, and uh, telling them to suck on that. And that was like at the height of his unpopularity. Uh, he was not a well-liked individual when he did. And that certainly didn't help things. I'm looking at the stats real quick. We had a Chris Worley and Chris Wormley showdown uh, on both sides. And Raekwon McMillan, 16 tackles in this one. He, he was great. I do remember that. Him and Jerome Baker, both 15-plus tackles. They were kind of single-handedly wrecking shop for the Buckeyes defense. But those are the ones that I've got with detail, Chuck. I'll throw in a couple special mentions real quick. <clears throat> I don't remember much of this because I was a kid at the time, but I think I experienced my first heartbreak in 1995. That's when Tim Biakabatuka ran for 313 yards against the Buckeyes. That was a rough one. And I've also got 2018 62 points by the Buckeyes, the most ever in this rivalry, except for, I think, like 1903. Uh, I don't trust those stats. Dwayne Haskins threw for 400 yards and six touchdowns in this one. That is my pick for most memorable individual performance in one of these rivalry matchups. The 95 one was so insane. Like, I can't even imagine what how that would go in a social media world that we live in today. Just to kind of put it in perspective, as you look for this game, there is no box score on ESPN.com because ESPN.com did not exist. You have to go to like uh, other websites. But for them to be 11 and 0 and allow that to happen, like I, I just can't imagine that. Like, and, and I was a I was a fan from afar uh, in Cincinnati. I was not the fan that I became when I came to school here. But I remember my dad telling me and explaining to me, because I was a kid as well, how absurdly ridiculous it was that they let that man run for 300 yards when they had a national championship on the line. So it's uh, that kind of started the downwards uh, spiral is the wrong word, but that kind of started the the heading down the hill on the roller coaster of the Cooper era, because it, it kind of just, well, I'm glad you brought this up on the game. I'm glad you brought this up. I'm a, a Ryan day defender. Even if he, you know, look, God forbid, knock on wood, hopefully this doesn't happen. If he lost a one point game to Michigan this year, I would not call for his job. However, if Blake Corum or, Edwards, uh, the kid's first name is escaping me right now. If one of those guys, Donovan, right? If one of those guys runs for 313 yards and they whoop up on Ohio State, then I will be the first person at you know the Woody, the stadium, wherever, with my sign calling for the firing of Ryan Day. Because to your point, how do you let that happen? That's one of the greatest single game performances in all time, and Ohio State was supposed to be the staunch defense that year and it just clearly was not the case but um what about 2018 anything from that one stick out i know ohio 
Michigan kind of sucked at the time. It was one of our last really fun experiences, but yeah, I enjoyed the the smirk on every coach's uh, face as they just just kept going and kept going and kept going. That was them rubbing. Uh, that was Jim Harbaugh peed on the rug. And Ohio State was rubbing his nose in it that entire game. And I uh, staunchly enjoyed every second of it. And um, unfortunately for Ohio State, though, he hasn't really peed on the rug again. So we've got to – maybe he's getting old now and, and he, he doesn't know his, his manners as well. So Well, he has. It's just in the college football playoff. And we really have no reason to, to call them out for it. And, you know, the whole rocks – Glass House, that deal. So those are the games that I've got, Chuck. We went through a lot. Uh, you know, I think that was six, seven games. Unless you've got any ones, like any games that I'm missing, I don't know, I'm kind of feeling like listener questions. What do you got for me? Uh, I've just got one game. Yeah, I've got one game, and then I've got three questions for you. Uh, the game I've got is the 2023 game where Kyle McCord – Throws for 478 (laughs) yards, nine touchdowns. Uh, The defensive line has uh, 12 sacks. Uh, Everybody in the uh, secondary has an interception, every single member of the secondary. So that could be 12, 14 interceptions. And it is uh, 86 to two. Uh, And the the two is just because with one second left, uh, the Buckeyes somehow end up on the one yard line and take the two. So that, that game, uh, will be memorable. Uh, I kid you not, though, Chuck. Like, that was the, almost the score of the – I was looking at them earlier today. I think in 1903, for whatever that's worth, if you trust the, the record-keeping, I think it was 86 to nothing Michigan won. So you're, you're calling for a repeat 120 years later, the opposite, going the opposite way. That was probably a tough day at the old office for the, the Buckeyes. <laughs> Oof. All right. Uh, three listener questions today. Uh, first one from uh, Jason. Uh, who you got gun to your head right now? Who's your four to make the playoff this year? Oh, man. That is not a fun, fair question because I haven't thought about it at all. Ohio State will get back. Alabama will get back. Clemson will get back, and it's been a long time. Oregon will get back, courtesy of my boy Bo Nix. That just—I'm going yeah. quickly. I haven't really given given it much thought, but just top of my head, those are my four. Yeah, Oregon's an interesting one. I, I'll take—I'm going to steal that one because the the pack are they the twelve still? The pack twelve sucks, so I could see that. And with a six-year quarterback, like you got to be able to go. Actually, you know what? I take that back. I'm Washington. I want Washington. Oh, okay. I'm gonna go same, Washington. Same thought process, though. Exact same thought process. Yeah. I'm gonna go LSU. I'm gonna go Ohio State. I want LSU instead of Bama. I'm going to also steal one, an idea from you, because I think that they're legit. Jaden Daniels can do some things. I want LSU over Bama. This one's going to blow your mind. Texas. It doesn't blow my mind. I think they're a trendy pick. Uh, I think they're going to 
dog walk that conference. I think Ewers is just going to be really good this year. Like he is a, he's, what's he, 20, 20? Like he's, people forget his first year at Ohio State was supposed to be a senior year. Like he was a freshman in age last year. Look, he's, he's a heck of a player. I'm not going to trip over myself to give him credit though, just because he gave an, a, a, an interview recently. He was like, um, I took things seriously. I didn't eat like shit and I worked out. I'm like, Oh, now, now hey, he started doing yeah, he's a, Well, but he's 18 years old, man. Like sometimes 18 year olds take a little while. Let's I, I'd like to all of us to go back to when we were 18. I was also doing all that stuff with a few beverages on top illegally. So um, th- those are our four. So I got Texas, Oregon, or Texas, Washington, LSU, and the Buckeyes. You've got the Buckeyes, LSU, Oregon, and Clemson. Clemson, that was a terrible pick. I, I don't like them. I just. Yeah, you got that question wrong. Let's see if you can get this one right. Uh, let's go Big Ten wise. What coaches do you think are on the hot seat? And who's the first to get fired after Fitzgerald? Man, you know what? Like, that's a really tough question, too, because there's a lot of newness in the conference. Uh, I don't think that, you know, Ryan Walter is not going to be one and done at Purdue. Uh, Brett Bielema gets the benefit of what he did last year. Matt Rule's not going to be one and done. Luke Fickle's not going to be one and done. Jim Harbaugh is sticking around unless he flirts with the NFL for a ninth consecutive offseason. Look, I, I've told you, I don't think, or I've told everyone listening, I don't think Ryan Day is necessarily on the hot seat. But with a caveat, if he gets his doors blown off by Michigan or they go 9-3 and three or something like that, then maybe he's on the hot seat. Tom Allen in Indiana, I don't know why he's still there in the first place. That's a name that comes to mind for me. Tom Allen, I think, is the first that comes to mind for me. And then my sleeper candidate, even though I'm sure he's got, you know, he did a contract extension or something in the offseason. I don't know. Maybe they get fed up with Kirk Ferentz. If his son can't figure out a way to put nine points on the board every game and they get blown out, then maybe a Kirk Ferentz. But I would put the likelihood of that down at like 5% or less. What about you, Chuck? I think Shiano's, both of those are, are good. I think Shiano's, yeah, Shiano's a good one. Just because they're going to be, they may be better and they're still going to have a terrible record because of now they may give him a chance to get into a uh, divisionless big 10 before they pull the, the cord on him and give him a chance to see what he can do when he doesn't have to play Ohio state, Michigan, Penn state and Michigan state every damn year. Uh, but I could see that same thing with Loxley. He might be, if they have a bad, like they haven't had a bad year, but if all of a sudden uh, this is a three and nine type year, maybe because they've got some backing. Uh, I don't, I don't think Mel Tucker is out of the question. Uh, What about the buyout though? Yeah, but here's it. So I, I, I learned, so you know who one of the boosters was that paid for him? That paid the guy for who bought his the Suns? Exactly. He's worth $8 billion. That buyout means Jack squat to him. 
he wipes his butt with that out when he <laughs> takes a crap. So I don't think that's – if they find somebody else that can will take their money, they will buy him out. So, yeah, this could be a, a slow year with the transition. Uh, 2024 could be the year really when the Big Ten uh, faces a lot of turmoil or turnover when UCLA and, and USC come in here and start busting heads potentially. And the thing with Rutgers real quick, Chuck, I, I like that you brought up Greg Schiano. I think he's a heck of a football coach, and I don't know what his recruiting was like in the past, but like I just looked, you, you've got to have a, a bright spot. There's got to be something giving your fans, your ho- your administration hope. And like Rutgers had the 60th best recruiting class coming in for 2023. Granted, it was better the 2022 class was. And look, I know he's not going to get regular four and five stars, but to take a step back in recruiting and also play in the uber difficult Big Ten East, like, yeah, I think the odds are definitely stacked against him. Last question I got, completely off topic, but very topical for the world. Women's World Cup, who you got? Alex wants to know. Probably Alex Morgan. Uh, We've been in contact multiple times. She's a fan of mine. I'm a fan of hers. Read into that, whatever you will. But, you know. I'm gonna I'm gonna back the I, I can't I can't I can't even take you seriously right now. You're I'm ridiculous. gonna back I'm gonna back the US women to win their third in a row. I'd be lying if I said I knew who like the challengers were. And I know that they're missing some women from the last squad. Like I was a big fan of Carly Lloyd. Maybe she'll kick in the NFL one day. Uh, I know she was messing around with that and that would have been really cool, but no, I, I think they're a wagon. I think Trinity Rodman is an absolute beast out there. Megan Rapinoe, this is her swan song. So give me the U.S. women all day, every day. There was only one answer to that. Anybody that says otherwise, well, you, you could go ahead and turn our podcast off. This is a, a USA uh, national team uh, fan pod. Has, all, has been and always will be. Well, it's good timing, Chuck. I think they can get ready to turn this one off anyway, because I think we're about done. Um, But as always, guys, we appreciate you listening. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Please engage with us on social media. Send us the email. Send us the questions that I know Chuck likes to look at and set me up for. Um, But just couldn't be more grateful and appreciative for all of you listening. And until next